0: Everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tax Smart REI podcast. Today we're going to be going through an interesting episode on the real estate professional status versus the short-term rental loophole or the exception, whatever you want to call it. And the reason for that is there's been a lot of confusion within the community recently, especially amongst new members of the Smart REI community about kind of what the difference between the real estate professional status is and what the short-term rental exception is. So I'm really excited to kind of break that down, give clarity on both what each of them are, as well as how to use and when to use them. So we'll be right back after a quick word from Crystal View Capital. Recession
1: resilient are two words that are heard often when discussing investing in mobile home parks and self-storage. But what does that really mean? And what happens if there's not a recession? At Crystal View Capital, we are vertically integrated and have over 150 employees focusing on assuring our assets perform daily, regardless of market conditions. With over $85 million in distributions paid to investors since 2014, we focus on downside protection, upside maximization, and all the hard work in between. If you are an accredited investor and would like to learn more about our current offerings, please visit crystalviewcapital.com or click the link in the show notes.
0: All right. So uh, kind of before we dive into reps versus the short-term rental loophole, I just want to kind of want to give everybody an update on what's going on with events within the smart Investors community. So we have the Facebook group, which has events that we're going to be uh, rolling out, as well as the TaxSmart Insiders group. So, Brandon, where do you want to start?
1: So let's start with the Insiders group. The Insiders group is our paid group. It's $97 a month. If you want to sign up, it's www.TaxSmartInsiders.com slash free trial. We just wrapped up our Q1 masterclasses. So we bring in three speakers a month. And for three months, they hold a monthly masterclass within the group on a topic. So I did one. I did a three-series masterclass on passive activity rules. Uh, we had my partner, one of our partners, Taylor, uh, jump in and teach how he underwrites deals because he has like an, a very expansive real estate portfolio. So he did that for three months. And then we had James Sevitec come in. He's the author of Airbnb for Dummies, speak about how to acquire short-term rentals and manage those short-term rentals for three months. So one masterclass a month. Those are all on archive. But then Q2, we have new speakers coming up. And we're looking to bring in tax speakers, attorneys, SDIRA, 1031, cost seg, and then also kind of like, how do you buy a property? How do you manage properties at different points of scale? So we're trying to basically use these monthly masterclasses, three a month, to add a lot of value to the group.
0: Absolutely. That's again, that's the insiders group. If you're not already a part of it, Brand just told you where to go. TaxSmartInvestors.com slash free trial. Get a 30-day trial and you could check it out for yourself. Now, we also have the TaxSmart REI Facebook group, which we've mentioned here on the podcast before. We're actually starting to do weekly events in that Facebook group. We're going to be doing one event per week on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern. And the schedule is going to kind of look like this. We're going to do two virtual meetups per month. All right. And the two virtual meetups will be a brief presentation on a specific topic. Then we'll break out into networking sessions. We just ran our first one of these last week and we had a great response. People love the networking portion of the segment. So we're going to continue doing that. It's a great way to kind of get connected with other people within the Tax Smart Investors community who might be facing similar issues uh, to you. Uh, Then we're going to be doing one masterclass uh, per month, so a deep dive on a specific topic. And then we'll be bringing back taxes and bourbon which if you've been part of the TaxSmart Real Estate Investors community for a while, you might remember those. Those were extremely popular. And I mentioned last week that we're going to be bringing them back and people were really excited for them. So I'm uh, really excited to roll this out. If you're not already in the Facebook group, uh, you can visit www.facebook.com groups slash smart Investors. And uh, you could go ahead and join the group and uh, we'll be rolling out the official schedule shortly. So having said that, without further ado, let's just jump right into today's episode. So Real estate professional status versus the short-term rental loophole. Before we kind of dive right into that, I think it's important to understand why we even need to use these strategies in the first place. Why can't we just take losses from our rental properties against our non-passive income, like W-2 income or active trade or business
1: income? Why can't we just do that? Like, Why do we need to jump through these hoops? Well, you you could do that prior to 1986, right? So prior to 1986, is was an awesome time to be a landlord. I could be a high income earner, buy a bunch of rental properties, depreciate those rental properties, create tax losses, and use those tax losses to offset my W-2 income or my whatever income, business income. But in 1986, Congress decided that it wasn't fair that super rich people were able to use real estate investing as a tax shelter to offset their regular income. So they created the passive activity loss rules. And these rules state that there are two types of passive activities. All rentals are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. And if you're aware of the short-term rental loophole, you know that there's a little exception to that. But all rentals are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional. And two, any trader business that I do not materially participate in is passive. So if I put $100,000, if I invest $100,000 into my local hair salon to help them with expansion, and I'm just a profit partner, I don't make decisions. I'm not part of the board. I'm not participating then any income that I receive from that investment is passive, assuming that it's an LLC or S corporation structure. So the point is, is that it's not just rentals that are caught up in this whole passive activity loss rule, you know, section. It's also any trade or business that I do not materially participate in. But those rules were implemented in 1986. Now, the interesting thing is that everybody is subject to these rules. Every taxpayer in the United States is subject to section 469, But we typically don't realize it until we buy rentals and we go through that first tax return and we ask our accountants, hey, I had a $5,000 loss for my rentals. Why didn't it get claimed against my income? And then we learn about section 469, the passive activity loss rules. So the reason you can't take your losses against your income is because Section 469 was implemented in 1986, and it says that all rentals are passive unless you qualify as a real estate professional, and passive losses can only offset passive income. So it puts the rentals into this passive bucket, and it puts all of your other income into this non-passive bucket, and everything in each bucket can offset each other, but you can't move your rentals out of the passive bucket and into the non-passive bucket unless you qualify for an exception to Section 469, which we've talked about extensively on this podcast before. So if your rentals are passive, the losses that, that are generated can only offset other passive income, other activities that generate passive income.
0: Right. Unless you meet an exception like the real estate professional status, right? So Uh, again, a lot of confusion around what the difference between these different exceptions are. So let's just start with the real estate professional status. First thing is the real estate professional status allows you to take losses, okay, from your long-term rental properties, turn them non-passive and use them to offset your other sources of non-passive income. Now, to be clear, this works for long-term rental properties, and we'll get into why it doesn't work with short-term rentals in a second. But if you own long-term rental properties, this is something you're going to want to pay attention to. So how do you qualify as a real estate professional? Well, there are two requirements, right? You must first spend more than 750 hours in a real property trader business, and it also must represent more than 50% of your total working time. So in order to qualify, you basically, if you effectively need to work in real estate full-time, right? It needs to be more than 50% of your total working time. And for a lot of people who have a full-time job, or maybe you're running a business that's not a real property trader business on a full-time basis you're not going to be able to qualify for the real estate professional status. Um, The good news is about the real estate professional status is if you have a spouse that can qualify. So maybe you run a business or maybe you have a high income job, but your spouse can work full time in real estate, then you can qualify for the real estate professional status. So who should use it? You should use it if you have long-term rentals and you or your spouse can work full time in a real property trader business. And that allows you to unlock the losses from your long-term rental properties. Now, Having said that, that won't help you if you're not in that situation, right? If you have a full-time job and you or your spouse can't work in a real property or business, or I want to be clear, or if you own short-term rentals, this will not help you. And why does it not help you if you own short-term rentals? Well, there's a very good reason for that, right? So remember what Brandon said before, all rental activities are passed by default, but, but there are exceptions to the definition of rental activities. And one of those exceptions is if the average period of customer use is seven days or less or 30 days or less if you provide substantial services. So there's a few other exceptions, but those are the two most relevant for most short-term rental owners. So if you meet one of those two exceptions, your activity is no longer a rental activity. And remember what Brandon said before too, that all bu- it's just a business at this point, and all businesses can either be passive or non-passive. So if you materially participate in your business, in the short-term rental business, well, then the losses can be non-passive. And the material
1: participation tests
0: are a lot more lax. Right. Than the
1: 750 hour rule. We should clarify they're easier to achieve because they require less hours, but they're not less lax from the stance of like your participation can change. Right. Like if you're trying to materially participate, In a short-term rental, you still can't count your investing hours. Well, actually, you might be able to count your investing hours if you're managing the day-to-day operations of the property, but you can't count your education and your research hours and that type of stuff, right? We've already kind of gone over in prior episodes. So it's not more lax in terms of what you can count, but it's more lax because it requires fewer hours to achieve. Right.
0: You don't need to spend more than 750 hours and you don't need to spend more than half your total working time, which makes it easier to achieve, Right. Right. Um, so how do you qualify? You have to meet one of those exceptions to the definition of rental activities I just mentioned, seven days or less or 30 days or less that substantial services are provided. And you must be able to prove that you materially participated. So by meeting one of seven tests, and we went through these tests extensively on other episodes, if you want to check that out, you can always check out the short-term rental series. And if you look through the podcast feed, you could, you could find those episodes by looking for short-term rentals. You could also find reps by looking at reps in the front of the episode or in the episode title.
1: So let's quickly just touch on who should use the short term rental loophole and why is it a loophole? You know, we like to use the word exception in most cases. I do think the short term rental loophole is a true loophole because these rules were added way before Airbnb and VRBO came on the market. So it just opens it up to a lot more taxpayers to materially participate in a short term rental and use the tax losses to offset their income, which I don't think is the intent. Of Congress. So, in my mind, it's a loophole, but regardless, who should use it? So, the problem with real estate professional status with my long term rentals is that I have to not only work 750 hours in my real property trades or businesses, but I also have to spend more time in my real property trades or businesses. So, if I work a full time job, I can't qualify as a real estate professional. And I'm sure that there's somebody out there that will figure out how to do it one day, but It's an uphill battle, right? The IRS is not going to believe you, and the tax court is most likely not going to believe that you could possibly work more time in real estate than you do at your full time job. So, if you have a full time job, you can't qualify as a real estate professional. Your rental losses, therefore, will most likely be passive losses and be suspended and carried forward. So, the short term rental exception to section 469 allows people with a full time job to buy vacation homes, rent them out on a short-term basis, less than or equal to seven days or less per customer, average period of customer use, and then cost segregate, bonus depreciate, and use the tax losses to offset their W-2 income and their business income without having to qualify as a real estate professional. But the key is, is that if I don't have to qualify as a real estate professional, I don't have to spend more time in a real property trader business than I do at my full-time W-2 job. So that's the short-term rental. That's why this works for people that have full-time jobs. So who should use a short-term rental? It's really anybody that has high income. And everybody's got a different definition of high income. You know, like some people wouldn't use this unless they were in the 37% tax bracket. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that has to be how you put your own guardrails around it. So if you have high income, if you're tired of paying taxes, you can absolutely acquire a short-term rental. You can Airbnb it or VRBO it. Get that average period of customer use of seven days or less, bonus depreciate it, and use those tax losses to offset your W-2 income or your business income as long as you materially participate. And as Tom was mentioning, we have a whole series on this. So we dive into material participation, exactly how it works, and also what you cannot do. So we're very big on don't stretch the truth. And if you scroll through our podcast episodes or the RSS feeds, just look for episodes that start with STR. If you find those episodes um, or short-term rentals, but if you find those episodes, that series starts with STR.
0: Absolutely. And if you want to learn everything you need to know about either of these strategies, whether it be the real estate professional status or the short-term rental loophole, we did design courses to teach you just that and walk you through everything you need to know in as short an amount of time as possible. you can learn more about that by going to www.taxsmartinvestors.com courses to learn more about either one of those courses. And that's all for today. And we'll catch you in the next episode of Tax Smart REI.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show.